Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is September the 14th, 2016. This is episode 1870 of the Survival Podcast. And I've got one for you today that's uh, a change-up. We are going to talk about online marketing in a world full of vultures with a guy named Lauren Weissman. I really like Lauren. I think he knows what he's doing, and that's... Uh, That's not something I say about a lot of people when it comes to marketing. You know me. I'm pretty uh, pretty hard on uh, my fellow uh, marketing, uh, I guess, marketing uh, information sources out there because I think a lot of it is almost bullshit. And uh, Lauren is uh, an animated guy, but I think he's dead on with his philosophy and his principles. Uh, we have a, uh, a similar view of the uh, fluffy, puffy world of life coaches and things like that. I think you'll enjoy hearing the conversation between Lauren and I today as we talk about things like social media marketing and how to effectively market your business. I know that not everybody out there really likes the business podcast because you're thinking, well, I'm a I'm an employee and I'm going to be an employee because, Jack, that's what I like to do. And, and there are people that like having jobs, and God bless you for it. We need people that want to hold jobs. That's, that's flat out the case. And then there's people that... You know, they live and breathe the world of entrepreneurship, and then there's people in the middle trying to figure out where they really fit in. But I'll tell you what, everything that you're going to hear about marketing today can be applied to personal brand. And if you're an employee, you need to have a solid personal brand today because we're going to go through a period of flux with automation. It's going to be difficult to find jobs when they're lost in the future. And if you have a solid personal brand within your industry, within your sector, you'll be better able to compete for what's there. So this applies to everybody equally today. Before we get into that, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors of the day. Hey guys, you know what? I love using herbs over conventional medicine for so many reasons, but there's so much hype in the herbal industry, it's hard to know who to trust. That's why I was so excited over seven years ago when I found Western Botanicals, an honest company with great products and wonderful people who really care about their customers. For all your herbal needs, do what I do and check out westernbotanicals.com. Hey guys, if you checked out the TSP Gear Shop lately, we offer awesome t-shirts promoting the Second Amendment, the 299 Days Project, the Sentinel Project, and more. We also offer things you just won't find anywhere else, like custom Kydex sheaths for the Mora Number 2 knife. Check it out at tspgear.com. Next up, let's take a look at the year that was the episode. The year uh, was 1870, because the episode is 1870, we have a Vatican One and Papal Infallibility. And we have Standard Oil of Ohio. We also have, in other news, the Fireman's Pole is invented in Chicago this year. Stevens Institute of Technology opens in Hoboken. Future graduates will include the founder of Texas Instruments, the developer of the Gantt chart, and the co-inventor of bubble wrap. It always amazed me that it took two people to invest, invent bubble wrap. It doesn't seem that complicated. Anyway, New Year's Day, Independence Day, Thanksgiving, and Christmas become paid holidays for all U.S. federal employees that note that neither the Congress nor the President has asserted the authority yet to declare federal holidays for anyone except federal employees and only those within the District of Columbia. Okay, so they are limiting what they say about holidays to D.C. itself and D.C. only in the years 1870. I'm going to read Standard Oil of Ohio 
John D. Rockefeller is not yet the richest man in history, but he is working on it. Oil drilling in Ohio is ongoing, but John is not an oil man per se. He was a clerk at a produce company, but he formed a partnership with his brother William and another fellow to refine oil rather than drill for it. John's expertise in cutting costs, especially transportation costs. By 1868, he and his, he and his brother will have built the largest refinery capacity in the world. This year, the old partnership is dissolved and reestablishes standard oil and profits soar. There is a glut of kerosene on the market, so the profit margins are thin. This works in favor of standard oil. Rockefeller makes a deal with railroad companies for a substantial discount on freight costs. So standard oil will guarantee to ship a certain amount of oil. They will also load and unload it themselves. With lower transportation costs, kerosene prices drop by half. Smaller companies can get, not get the big discounts that standard oil can, so they fold. Standard oil biles them out, keeping, them, keeping some going and shutting others down. In two years, they will call it the Cleveland Massacre. As 22 of 24 competitors go down in destruction, you will hear a lot of hollering, and one of the loudest will be John Archbold, who will head to Oklahoma to make his fortune, but he will return to become Rockefeller's assistant and later run Standard Oil while Rockefeller engages in charitable work. My take by Alex Shrugged, well, that all sounds reasonable. A business does a businessman does a better job, more effectively is rewarded for it. That's fine. But in those days, there were few regulations on business. In my general reading, my sense is that the, the success bred a type of robber baron mentality that led to collusion between companies and unfair business practices. I'm all for a fair playing field and discounts for volume users. Crushing competition and sifting innovation through collusion is generally bad. It was like when the riverboat companies tried to stop the railroads from building bridges across the rivers. The underlying and underhanded argument was over the right, of the right for a river freight company to strangle the growing railroad freight company in its crib. We like the idea of cheap freight costs, but the precious balance, there's a precarious balance between when government tries to help a new business grow and the same government being used to protect a business that's too big to fail. Standard Oil was eventually broken up because of its anti-competitive practices. This is why we have Chevron, BP, ExxonMobil, and others. After the breakup, Mr. Rockefeller became even richer than before. Once freed of the central control, the, co the companies were more efficient, responsive to local market forces, and made Rockefeller richer than ever. AT&T went through a similar process. There is no company too big to fail. Um, yeah, I also think that like the whole standard oil railroad monopoly thing is often used today to explain why we need all these government regulations. I, I tend to disagree. The railroad monopoly and the associated monopoly with uh, kerosene and oil was very short-lived. And as oil was used to do things more than light, you know, lamps, Which, by the way, once light bulbs were invented and, 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 you know, became regular, that use of kerosene kind of really went away. And oil began used to do what? It began being used to, to provide power for gas, for gasoline for cars and trucks. Well, when that happened, of course, the roads began to be drastically improved and built throughout the country to increase the infrastructure that would allow vehicles to transport. And, you know, you couldn't really just totally hold a monopoly by a collude to deal with the railroad anymore. In other words, in a society, and, and this is what happened, because there were so few regulations at the time, technology, even for the time, ex advanced very, very rapidly. Very rapidly. And in doing so, the monopolies were displaced by the advancement of technology. And if you look at almost every successful monopoly 
The government that breaks it up is usually the government that helped to create it. How do we get a monopoly in railroads? Well, the government used the taxpayers' money to fund the building of railroads and then allow the railroads to be controlled by private interests. If the private interests had to build their own railroads, or if the government had built the railroads and then made them subject to public use, either way you wouldn't have had the potential for monopoly. Because if you would have wanted to have a monopoly on railroad tracks that you built with your own money, well, that's fine. And you would have competitors and kind of a broken system that had to you know work together. This this belief that government can prevent monopoly is is ridiculous because well the biggest monopoly I know of in the world right now is the United States federal government. It is a monopoly on the lives of 330 plus million Americans and it holds a stranglehold monopoly on the rest of the billions of people in the world in many ways, shapes, and form. It's not like we couldn't have a completely unregulated by government system that was actually well run and ordered and moved much faster than we do today. It could happen, but probably not in our lifetimes. I don't think people are ready for it yet. With that, let's go ahead and get into the main topic of today's show. With that, I want to say, hey, Lauren, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Thank you so much, Jack. Hey, man, I'm, I'm glad to have you on today. We're going to talk about, I think the way you put it was, surviving, understanding, sustaining, and securing your online marketing in today's world full of vultures, fakes, and hype artists. Well, that, that's right up my alley. But I always like to try to get the guests connected to the audience, especially if it's the first time they've been on. Could you kind of tell people how did you end up doing what you're doing now? And kind of take it back to like, you know, high school years or something, like when you were trying to figure out what to do with yourself and what led you to where you are? Gotcha, man. Well, I, I started as a drummer. I wanted to meet girls and... I really liked the drums, so I jumped right into the drums. I realized what was happening in the music business, even as a teenager, and that there were a lot of great players out there. So I just busted tail on being the best drummer that I could be. I went to Berklee College of Music for uh, two and a half semesters and dropped out, went on the road. I worked with a number of different musicians, and where, and it really ties back to where I am now I got approached by a cat that was saying, hey, look, I want to put you on an album, but you can't put your name on it. We're going to pay you a little bit more. You're going to be called what's what they call a ghost drummer. But you're tall, you're hairy, you're a little bit scary, but you could work like crazy if you're game on this. And the thing for me was never fame. I mean, I definitely the girls came with the drums. I didn't mind that. But I got to work with everything from the multimillion dollar albums to the guys that were paying in D'Angelo subs and everywhere in between. And that opened up a career into touring. I did about 700 albums total, about a few thirds of them as a ghost drummer. And when I was, when I released, I I went producer and then I released my second book, the artist guide to success in the music business. And I found that there were more people coming out that weren't musicians. They were, they were lawyers. They were contractors. They were restaurant owners. They had heard different things or they had friends that were musicians or they were part-time musicians. And I found to expand the concept of branding and sustainability much wider than the music I'd worked in, the television I'd worked in. And I just revamped the bubble of consulting and speaking to go much wider. And unlike, because I'm still in a sense, the newbie, I mean, I have the, the background, but It's more of cross-connecting and working with other marketing people and really strategizing to, you know, thrive, survive, build, sustain, and succeed. Not some life coachy, you know, BS, but 
what aren't you looking at? What are you thinking about? And who are you actually listening to that's proven it? So it really, it goes all the way back to the drumming days of trying to find every avenue possible to make something happen. And it still resonates. And it's the same thing today. So you mentioned a word in there, life coach. It's, it's not one of my favorite uh, professions, I guess. Um, I, I think it can be a little hypey. Uh, I, I am big on the concept of lifestyle design. That's a, a big thing we talk here about a lot at the Survival Podcast. Because my, my whole point is, and this applies to your business equally to your life, if you don't design it, someone will do it for you, and then you, you probably won't be happy with the results. So if you're not effective in your brand, then the market will define your brand with no control on your end. But in your life, it's the same type of way. If you don't define your lifestyle, then, you know, then the, the world will define it for you and you'll be like most people and miserable. What is kind of your take on the whole life coach world? You know, I'm going to keep it, I'm going to keep it G rated and not use the words. You don't that really have to. Use. We, we pretty much draw the line at the F word and everything else is okay. <laughs> I'll still behave, but look, I'm going to make a, I'm going to make a comparison to what you have. Episode 119, eight forms of capital. Now it can be experimental or human capital. You talk about that. What you're delivering is motivation with information that can be part of education. That's. That's like you said, the lifestyle element. That's motivation with information. I see so many of these people out there that are just playing out blank inspiration or they take a little story from this person or they, they hype this piece and they're destroying people's careers off of their selfish gains to say, hey, I want you to feel good about yourself. I tell people this and it pisses people off, but I say, you know what? If you need to pay someone to motivate you to go after your dream, you have the wrong damn dream. It's as simple <laughs> as that. No, I agree with that. I mean, what I think of is like back in, in the time when I was in really more of the sales profession and I would go to like business mixers and things like that. It seemed like if you went to chamber of commerce function or I was on the technology business council through Plano Chamber of Commerce and Richardson uh, Chamber of Commerce, you'd kick a table and a life coach would crawl out from underneath there, you know, <laughs> everywhere. And, you know, they're out slurping for business and it's like, well, if you're so good at designing a life, then, you know, why are you so almost desperate is how some of those folks seem to, to get a customer. They are, and that's the and that's the sad thing. I mean, every time something comes across Facebook or Twitter and I see someone that says, well, now I'm a licensed life coach. I'm like, I need to block you, unfollow you, and without being mean, I need to hate you now. Who the hell licenses you? life coaches? Exactly. Well, it's the same thing as with these people that claim they're an expert in social media or they have a degree in social media. Social media is still brand new. It's still being done. You can't be an expert. You can know certain things, but you know, in, in the element of proof of concept, that's the biggest thing that I shout out. If I had the T-shirt that could do that glowing thing like the, the Olympians did when they walked out, said, you know what? Proof of concept comes down to everything. When you talk about where your brand is going to be, where your budget is going to be, stop going to people and saying, okay, well, I've, I read this book from this guy, and this guy explained this. And with all due respect, and we don't see eye to eye, I still respect that a lot of people love him. But when Gary Vanderchuk goes out there and explains this whole concept of I took $4 million and turned it into $40 million, and, and then I know this, and, and this one linear thing that he was able to do, which I applaud him for, 
But still, the average person doesn't have a $4 million budget to start with. The average person can't look at a certain scenario and they can be inspired by it. But when they copy it, because so many of those elements are either not talked about or not thought about, their strategy ends up backfiring and exploding on them. Yeah, definitely. I've I've noticed that a lot with people trying to emulate what other people do, whether it's through their techniques or their, their attitude or it's a, a product emulation. And I just don't think it works well. I think that the consumer today has so much choice, they want to actually connect at an individual level. And for that to happen, you have to be genuine and yourself. And I, I don't really fault Gary for that because that is who he is. The problem is people see somebody's success and they latch onto it like their own little piece and they don't develop individually. Exactly. And, and, and again, I'm not faulting him, but the story that he puts out where he explains this is what I did and he has some good information. But I've taken a lot of people that have come my way after you know working with him or following aspects and we do much more of an individualized, personalized plan. It was the same thing when I was producing records in, in music. Someone would come along and they'd be like, why don't you have more examples of your productions up? And I said, clearly it's as simple as this. And this ties into the branding and marketing. If I had a, if I had a particular artist, this one guy I worked with in the Southeast, we had a $1.5 million budget. We had three months in the studio. We had investors to pay for the marketing. We had top level session cats and these musicians just like you wouldn't even believe. Now, when somebody comes and says, okay, I can scrape together $20,000, $50,000 to have them listen to that album and say, this is what I can do for you. That's me lying. Now, sure it when, is. when somebody absolutely. says, what's that? Sure it is. Absolutely it is because it's, that's, yeah, it's like saying, well, You know, we make uh, the top-of-the-line Corvette, and we also make the, you know, the bottom-of-the-line puddle jumper car. And if all your marketing's around the Corvette and you're advertising that you can sell that for 15 grand, well, you can't. So yeah, I, I love that. I love that because I say that when I talk. I, I, I make the old joke of saying, if you can afford a Kia and you're spending an afternoon and paying to watch a Maserati clinic, that might have been fun, but it's not doing shit for you. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I get that completely, and I, I I really think that people are struggling with individuality in their brands, and I think some of the bigger companies, to me, are struggling with it. Part of why I got out of the business, so to speak, and decided to do my own thing, is I had large companies giving us lots of money to tell them how to develop their marketing strategy, and they seemed like they were paralyzed with fear to actually reveal the soul of their company. Like oh. that, that would just be the most awful thing in the world. And then they also wanted, they wanted to do social media, but they wanted complete freaking control over everything. It's like when you put things out into that space, you know, like one company got upset because the, the fans, it was a restaurant chain created a Facebook group to talk about them, like going there and what was like, I was like, why are you complaining about this? This is a dream. But they couldn't control it, and they had this fear of a lack of control of their name, which I, I can understand on some levels. But, again, in the social media space, if somebody's actually created a Facebook group that talks about going to one of your, your best locations and are setting up their own meetups and stuff to get other people to come there, you need to be saying hallelujah, not how do we stop this. Oh, absolutely. It's like, you know, the that fear. And I mean, and again, it's not necessarily that it's wrong. It's that it's no longer right. 
some of the aspects of these larger scale companies. And I see the same thing with the million dollar plus where they're like, well, we did this and this was happening. It's like, yeah, that was 2003. That was 2002. That was 90s. That was the 80s. We're in 2016. The fact that if you're not buying and I tell people with these TDLs, I I want people to go out. I, I was talking to a client yesterday. I said, I want you to go out and buy soandsosucks.com. I want you to buy I can't stand this person. I want you to secure every social media site, even if you're not using it to just reinforce your brand. Enjoy it when things go wrong. And at the same time, you know, don't fear. And I, I didn't mention that before in my story. I learned more and ha- learned more about teaching, about consulting, about the music industry, television, marketing and branding from my failures than I ever did from my successes. And it was that once something completely deep sixed, I worked on a, a fitness infomercial in 2006. This thing, everybody thought they were going to be mega millionaires in three weeks. And the bottom dropped out with a failure analysis element that we had no idea about. From that going so bad, from losing a fortune, I learned so much. I learned what went wrong, when it went wrong, why it went wrong, how it went wrong, and how to avoid it again, that that's been more of my story than the success things where it's like, okay, yeah, we use the basic forms and the principles, and and this is good, but how did this happen? (laughs) So kind of we're we're talking about some larger companies there, and uh, I'd kind of like to move more toward this audience because most of the people that are in this audience are not running – you know, uh, Fortune 100 companies or something like that. Good. <laughs> um, and they, yeah, I agree. The bigger the companies I ran, the more I wanted to blow my brains out. Uh, but the, the, the opportunity for me for the individual entrepreneur online or the, the, the small company is there's just so many verticals or niches, depending on what, 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 what word you want to use to describe it. And a lot of times I think people are afraid of, of drilling down on a niche because they think that market is too small. And your opinion seems to be that your market's probably bigger than you think it is. Your market is always bigger than you think it is. While an aspect of what you create, your product might only be needed by certain people at certain times. But to market that product let, with less expensive forms such as you know social media and the different types of content, you can reach so many more people. And you don't realize, and this is where people cut off. This small level marketing, if you talk about a video or you create, I'm sorry, you create a video that's hitting a market that might not even, you know, might not even hit you, but those people see that and they share it with people that are, you're building your advertising base and you're compounding your brand and your SEO without trying. If you go onto YouTube, a lot of people search, you know, for podcasts on, on video on YouTube. If you search iHeartRadio business podcast, I come up in the top five. And that's part of a brand of a simple short two minute video I did on my phone that didn't cost me a single penny. It's not the greatest production, but it's content that went up. And then mixing the keywords, mixing the branding about my message, it gets out there and it continues to advertise. You, at the same time to share the crazy silly things. I, I wax the logo of my second book out of my back. There is a there is a video up on YouTube and it's talking about branding and how important logos are. It was awful. I've never been so I mean it's never hurt so much. I'm a hairy guy. 
But that video connected me with a whole bunch of interviews, a whole bunch of speaking engagements, and a whole bunch of people saying how crazy I am. At the same time, another blog or video can come up talking about the serious elements, the array of information to connect with people directly, indirectly, vicariously, and just with who you are is so much more effective, so much more cheaper, and compounds that much more than some national publicity campaign. You know, that makes me think of a good friend named uh, Brian Black who runs a website called ITS Tactical. It's like everything SWAT magazine and, and, and Soldier of Fortune wanted to be and never were. He's he's done a fabulous job with it. He came cool. online about a year behind me. But this guy is so committed to his brand, he has his logo tattooed onto his chest. I have my book logo on my left arm. <laughs> and you know what? That's a that's a guy, that's a cat, and that's somebody that you listen to. Because when you are that committed and that formatted to your brand, and I'm not telling everybody to go out and do that, no, uh, but that's that that shows the commitment. Because once you get your brand, once you get that right bio, you got to stick by it for a couple years. I mean, right now, if you go to Google, and these are other examples, search business advisor, speaker, and author in Google. There are other cats that try to pay to get way above me. I'm still coming in at two and three, and it's at no cost. The concept is, and it's what I call brand precision marketing, a term I came up with with a, another brander named uh, Minter Dial, is zeroing in everything so that every piece of content you create can be that much more effective for you today, tomorrow, next week, next month, and next year. You know, I see a lot of folks out there that uh, get really excited. They decide they're going to launch a business, and there's this this mix of things that I see. One is the people that go a little too fast. They they throw something out, and it seems like everybody in the world today wants to launch their business through a Kickstarter or something like that. And not that that's a bad thing, but it's it's not the magic pill that I think some think is. And then the other one is the people that you're like, will you just freaking do it? Will you just stop talking about it? Will you just stop worrying about trying to get everything absolutely perfect because you're not going to, especially if you're going to be in a content generation business. You kind of have to get your legs under you. Uh, you see that in freaking professionally produced sitcoms out of Hollywood, like the first episode or pilot of a series has never got the chemistry with, you know. So there's a, there's a, there's always like a starting point. So how do, how do you think people should balance that kind of analysis paralysis with maybe moving a little too quickly and not quite having everything lined up in a way that actually enables the business to be successful. You know, it's, it's never going to get, it's never going to be perfect regardless of the business, regardless of how much capital you get in. I'm a big, I'm not a fan of, of Kickstarter because most of the time that people put together a Kickstarter budget and for the percentages that have achieved it, it's not enough money to do what they're supposed to do. Now, to get your brand together, to have your logos across the board, to have the bio, the tagline, the one-liner today, to set up the basics so that you can begin preliminary content, editorial calendar content, that's great. When you rush it, it automatically sends out a negative message because if you're looking for customers, if you're looking for investors, I mean, those simple things that you can piece together and get rolling and have format on – that's enough to get going. I have people out there that are marketing for a product that isn't done, but they have the brand behind the product completed. I'm working with a cat. We're, we're working on some videos to pre-release a, a book that he that doesn't come out for months. But the brand is together. The book is written. The release date is there. Too many people. It goes in music. It goes everywhere else. We'll start promoting this once we get out. Or we want to wait. We want to wait. 
brand first while you're creating this thing brand first because all the stuff that can catch up as you have all the finalized pieces as long as that brand is uniform and has a continuity to it it just makes you look that much more put together when the whole package is there yeah i agree and i think like what i see a lot of entrepreneurs missing and i'd love to hear you weigh in on this is what i call a three-phase plan so you have a pre-launch plan And that, that needs to be in operation well before you're actually going to launch a product or a business. And you're building up to that. Then there should, before the product comes out the door, there should be a plan for, well, what do you do in that, that first white hot period where, you know, that first week or two, you, you sell them like hotcakes, so to speak. And then you have to have a plan for, well, what do you do after that momentum? And what I usually see is either that they have a really, really great plan to build up and then nothing. Or like you said, they wait to put, all the effort into like, okay, now we've launched it. So, you know, I'll get uh, an interview request from somebody that we've just launched our product this week. Can I be on to talk about it? Uh, no, first of all, uh, <laughs> we have a, we have like a four month wait period to get on the show, you know, uh, well, but I launched my product. Well, I, I'm sorry. I don't exist to market your product for you. Um, things like that. And it's not like I'm being mean to the person, but it's like, literally, I'm not going to, you know, jungle my, my, my business around to, to fit your needs. And it's like they had no plan. And like that, the reason I mentioned Kickstarter is it seems like people put stuff on Kickstarter and they're, that's like the worst example of it. Maybe it's just because you do see it there where there was no plan until the day it happened. And there has to be that three phase plan around a product or a new business or any business unit or revenue strategy or what have you. Jack, I want to work on, on some kind of project somewhere down the line with you because I couldn't be more on board with everything you're saying. And there's so many people that it's, I want to cut this corner or we, we, we can just kind of make this up as we go. I'm, I'm right. I mean, it's to have that strategy to know what that plan is. And this is the thing that kills people and where I, I see so many clients buckle when I tell someone, okay, Before you go to press release, before you start hitting up the shows, before you start looking into higher level publicity or ads or whatnot, I want to see 90 days of rich, beautiful, compounded SEO content that breaks across audios, videos, blogs, pictures, and links. I want it so that once you say, this is who I am, talk to me or come, uh, my favorite one, add me on Twitter. Well, I just went to your Twitter and there's nothing there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just went to your Facebook. You know, we're going to be this. Yeah. Everything is passive, it's submissive, it's boring, and it's oversaturated. To take that time launching that stuff, just like you said, that soft launch, that we're going to just put content out. We're not going to scream yet. Wait, what really okay? My show. We're, we're recording episode 30 this week for next week, for, for next Monday to come out. I'm waiting till I get to 50 episodes to actually pay for a press release to say, Hey, we're out. And with, with wait, what really? Okay. Monday is the podcast. Tuesday is a picture that ties to the podcast. Wednesday, a video, Thursday, a link, Friday, a blog. Now with, you know, once we get to that 50 point, And then you multiply that by five times the content with all the stuff that's been optimized. I took a little bit longer because I wanted to, but then I'm that much prouder of what I have to present. And for it doesn't have to be that long for other people, but if you can't begin to build up and work your brand or answer questions that point to you, if you go to Siri and say, how do you add music to your radio show? That was the title of one of the podcasts, Optimized Correctly, yep. and it points toward a guest that I had. Yeah. And that's 
that's a that's a a thing that just is so much better than than toting the name of your product or sitting there and being the you know ever salesperson where every piece of your your content going up online is a boring tired sales pitch. Well, let me let me give away one of my kind of this is one of my secret sauce things here. So I believe in analytical data like to the nth degree, and I think your site should have a good analytics program. Google Analytics is okay. Uh, Wufu is actually a really good program as well because you can see things in real time uh, better than you can on Google Analytics. But no matter what you use, you're going to develop, if you put content out, this whole group of traffic that comes to you from Google and the others, just because Google is such a dominant player. And as you do that, you'll see these keyword phrases. If you see something that's sending you, let's say, 10 visits a month, it doesn't seem like a big deal, but you go check that out, and you're like number eight on Google for that term, that's actually a fairly high traffic term, but it's also a low, it's probably a low competition term. And it's a low competition term because you got there by effing accident, okay? So, <laughs> so now, if we just take that piece of content that got to number eight by accident, and we specifically optimize that existing piece of content for that term, and we turn up a couple links in some other areas that are anchor-texted, which means the for those out there in the audience that don't know, that means that the, the link actually says what the term is that points there. We're going to push that thing right up the rankings, and we're going to increase traffic. And we've done almost no work for that. But you can't, and I call that mining, mining gold nuggets from your analytics, right? You can't do that unless you're a, a high-frequency content producer. So an example of this is when I started this show, I did an episode on pistol-caliber carbines, right? So that's kind of an odd thing, but I, all of a sudden I had, you know, I was getting a couple hundred visits a, a, a month from just that one episode, and we were ranked like 10 or 9 or 10, like almost at the bottom for it. So, and I don't, I haven't kept messing with every single piece of content. I got 1800 plus episodes now, you know. Uh, but when I tweaked that, I mean, I pushed it to number one in like a day. And that type of thing can only happen if you're doing what you say. You have to get out there and start building and developing that content. You know, you see what I'm saying? You're, you're, you're so right. And, and I mean, to, to supplement what you're saying, stop worrying about the perfect piece of content. Mm hmm. And get that content out there. Now, taking that content and like exactly like you say, okay, here's here's what we got. Here's where it is. Here's how we can adapt it or adjust it. You don't need to spend. You can have some nice videos, but you don't need to spend a fortune on videos and sit there and push the same video all the time over and over again, boring people away. You can knock out one video a week. It really is possible. You know, it's not that I hard. Phone. You know? Exactly. And they're just stupid little videos around my homestead following my ducks around or looking at our new aquaponics projects or whatever. And, and they're genuine. Like nobody thinks, well, this is fake because nobody would fake something like we're doing and do such a bad job of the production value. <laughs> you know? And I'm not against good production value, but I'm at a state in my life <laughs> where if I'm going to put out that, because to me, this is my core business is my podcast and it, it's, it's core built around my blog. YouTube for me is a funnel. All I'm trying to do is knock a few thousand people a week over to my site from YouTube. If that, if that happens, and then I also want to provide additional content for my listeners because I value them. So that's all it is for me. So yeah, maybe I spun the iPhone a little fast and you got motion sick when I went by all the trees or something, but you know what? You've got content that you wouldn't get otherwise. And each one of those is another little 
enticing nuggets sitting out there pulling back to the main vortex. And so this is my other problem I have with a lot of entrepreneurs with their websites. It doesn't freaking do anything when you get there. It doesn't prompt you to do anything. There's no call to action. So this guy goes out, sets up a site on, what, let's say, a custom gun design or something like that, busts his ass, gets on my, my show, 150,000 people hear him, you know, let's say a quarter of that go to his website because he has crappy hosting. They might even shut down his site from traffic, but he gets nothing out of it. He doesn't capture a list of names. He doesn't get them subscribed into social media. He doesn't get them subscribed. There's nothing there. It's just this, like it's, it's a 1990s website. It's a business card online. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm, I'm listening and I'm, la I'm laughing at how many times I hear that where there isn't the call to action. There isn't the direct understanding of the brand or somebody hands off a beautifully graphically spun card and nobody knows what you do. I, I'm telling everybody and I get that, I get that it pisses off people in certain liberal areas, but the, the facts around guns and the need for Having having a gun and the advantages of having a gun and where people have guns, where there's so much less violence, that's a beautiful thing to sit there and spin and talk about and have content. And that draws people in to go, oh, well, what are you building? Oh, can I order from you? Oh, what kind of thing should I be involved in? I mean, I I love that real – I mean – that real element of explaining what you do, uh, I mean, one-off explaining what you do, but also explaining the stuff that's hot, that's trending, that's now with any given subject, so you are educating, and then you'll find that sometimes, I mean, your call to action is there, that becomes more of a sell for you than just sitting there and going, come to us, Cus, come to us. You know, like, for instance, I talked to this guy, and he's like, well, I don't know that I really need a blog, I'm just a handyman, and I'm like, oh, jeez. <laughs> like I'm like, oh my god, you know, and I'm like, he's like, well, YouTube, I don't that. I'm like, do you know how to shoot video with your phone? Yeah, can you can you click a button and say upload to YouTube? Yeah. Well, all I would do is every job, I would just video a little piece of it, whatever's kind of the most critical step in it, the special part that you had to find or whatever, and I just start, you know, your little handyman channel, and you create this subject matter expertise out of that, and then you just post that to your blog. I don't know how to do that. Well, gee, while you're on YouTube uploading your shit, how about you Google, how do I embed a YouTube video on WordPress, and there'll be some eight-year-old kid that'll explain it to you with screen capture, right? Like, this isn't hard. And you just think, okay, if this guy's a handyman and he's handling, you know, two or three people a day, five days a week, he's got this, and unlike a plumber that's always unclogging a toilet, you know, one day he's hanging gutters, the next day he's uh, fixing a, a problem with a refrigerator, the next day he's, you know, I don't know, uh, if he's working for me, maybe he's building a greenhouse. If you have that much diversity on your channel, I mean, I'd watch that. And then what happens is you build these people that are watching you to see how to do stuff, but you know what happens, no matter how well you can do how many things, you only have so much time, so you're like, well, I could do this, but I don't want to. But that guy, right, that guy that's always on YouTube that knows all this crap, I'm going to get him to do it. <laughs> you know, and, and, and with the contractors, it's like, I, I, was, I was speaking with a guy this morning, I said, Take the shot. And he's a contractor, actually, so it, it ties in funny. Take the shot. Take the video. If you don't necessarily know how to, what to do with it or how to leverage it in the best way, we'll talk. But, but get that video. And then at the same time, I found with contractors, since we're on the contractor plumber thing, um, I'm working with a, a master plumber out in, in Denver. And I said, hey, man, have you ever seen that, uh, that movie uh, uh, Moonstruck? 
And they got that funny scene with the guy explaining the, which type of pipes you want to have and which is the best and all of that. I said, talk about, talk about that today. Share that. Do a little comment. Does anybody remember this? Cause a lot of people that are going to be hiring you are going to be of an age that have probably seen that or women that know that film and he, and tie it in completely indirectly about how you like this, how you find this is funny. And while you're not even selling, you're reminiscing, you're bringing people back to a movie that they love, Nicolas Cage, What's-Her-Face, Cher, and that indirect, vicarious relationship could potentially bring a customer or at the same time, a customer that doesn't need you at the moment might just go share that post and five people that do see it. It's not always about the sell on the front. Sorry, long, long road to get to that content. No, 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 that makes sense. I mean, there's a lot of things that I've, I've seen done like that. So a, a big European auto show one time, Mercedes-Benz had a, a new car. I don't remember what it was. They were releasing this new car. This was, this was almost pre-internet. This was like mid-90s. And they had these business cards that they were handing out there, you know, at their booth. Well, they impregnated the business cards with like a subtle hint of the smell of cinnamon. Beautiful. So... When the person touched it, even if they didn't smell the card, that their fingers smelled like cinnamon, and they it was from this card. And so that person that had that experience, every single time they they smell cinnamon for the rest of their life is going to think of Mercedes Benz. It, you, it, it's an olfactory thing. You can't get rid of it. You'll never you'll never get rid of that. It you it can't go away. So you're kind of talking about the same thing because you're linked to a movie. You, the movie you made me think of was a terrible movie. I hated it. Chick flick. It was called <laughs> Hope, Total Chick Flick. Hope Floats, right? Uh, oh, which was no. a terrible movie. <laughs> but there's this one scene in that movie, and probably because it was so bad and I was forced to watch it, um, where the guy is like this incredible cabinet maker, and he seems like kind of a, a workaday guy. And this girl goes to his house, and she sees this incredible cabinetry and all this woodwork in his house, and it's like you know, something that you'd see in a multi-million dollar custom home. And she said, why don't you do this for a living, right? And he said, oh, that would be great. I would take the thing I love and destroy it, right? So there's there's another example of, like, I hate that movie. I don't even remember what it's about, but I remember that one thing. And if you can create an engagement in somebody's mind that positively links you to something like that, then you're there forever or until they die. <laughs> so many – and, and, and it's, it's, it's bringing it down a notch. I mean, I got – I got introduced a number of years ago on, on Fenway Park. I'm originally from Bo just outside of Boston. And it was one of those hometown boy does good, and they wanted me to listen to a girl singing the national anthem. And so in my social media and the marketing around that, it had nothing to do with, you know, turn on Nesson and, and, and this, this channel, you're going to see me on Fenway Park. I left it alone till after it happened. They got a picture of me. And I told people, I said, it was really cool to hear this girl sing and she's getting out of Berkeley College of Music. But, you know, the entire time I was just as, as they announced me, I didn't say, okay, music producer and the hundreds of albums. I said, I was imagining them calling out Wiseman, center field. <laughs> that connection wasn't look at how big I am. Look at all the, the opportunities I get. I'm standing on hallowed ground. I made a connection with a whole bunch of people. Five clients showed up the next week. And it wasn't because look at how cool I am. It was I'm sharing a dream that you have too. And because we share that together, we're on the same plane. And now as opposed to telling you what to do and showing you what to do, I can help you and advise you on what to do because we're buddies. Not technically, but you know what I mean. No, I do know you mean. You've made a personal connection, and then with personal connection comes trust. And with trust, now you can trust my recommendations, right? 
And, and that's, that's the most difficult thing to build with a client. I'm going to, I'm going to tell a story here. I don't think I've ever told this story on, on TSP. I, I think I've told it on my business podcast that I haven't done forever. Um, but I accomplished what I think is the most successful unknown selling to a massive brand, uh, thing through a blog ever. And this is back when I had my media company before I sold it. And, uh, Donald Trump had a blog at the time. And I did a blog post on our blog about why his blog sucked. <laughs> and one of his writers came over to our blog and commented that I was delusional. And then I technically tore apart Donald Trump's blog. I mean, just 10 points. Here's all the issues with it. Here's the good things, but you don't do enough of that. And, I mean, ripped it to shreds, as I would for a client that came to me and asked me for it. We had, we had launched the company, Franklin Spirico Media, a week earlier. Okay. Uh, we, we had several other companies and we were basically running one marketing department for them. So we said, the hell with this. This just makes more sense to create a separate entity and provide services to our other companies as their agency. And so now we might as well get some outside clients and build that up too. Within a week, we signed Trump as a client for consulting on social media and their blog. This would have been back in like 2006. And it was because it was completely genuine, and my partner here had a heart attack <laughs> when he saw the, the post on our blog. I'm like, no one's reading it yet except them, and we can't lose them because we don't have them. And we ended up signing them as, as a client uh, through their director of marketing, guy named Joseph Katz. And he's, I think he's off working for, I don't know, Kaplan University now or something like that. But what can be done with the Internet? is so astounding. Now, I'm not suggesting you go around and start saying everybody sucks, but if you could do it the right way and you can actually back it up, if you're talking to business-minded people, that actually tells them, hey, this guy could fix my problem. Um, now, I don't want to get any blames. I had nothing to do with this guy running for president at all. Um, but uh, I, I just think that people don't understand the power that's actually available today because let's say in – 1985, I couldn't have done that. There was no means by which that could have happened. But you also, I mean, I'm not, uh, I, I love that. And I, I'm going to tell other people about you and that story. But your background, and again, it comes to the personalization. You knew exactly what to take apart and how to take it apart. I mean, that's that's a perfect example of someone with a centered expertise in marketing and branding, identifying an issue and not just being like, oh, that sucks. It's, this sucks. Here's why. And let me throw two more bullet points and reasons. You are the proof of concept of why that happened. So it's, it's a careful road with other people, you know, putting that stuff out. But I mean, that is, that is cool as shit. <laughs> I'm sorry, shit. <laughs> no, that's all right. No, see, but the other reason that worked, like, so the reason I, I brought that up is it goes back to your point. So even though that company was brand new, what we had done is several years earlier, we had started a blog that was completely dedicated to communications technology, search engine optimization, marketing online, new media, all that stuff, when it, when it was really new media, when like people were afraid to put their brand on YouTube because it was only for kids like that far back. And so even though our, our marketing company was new, our blog had been around for a while, so they could look at our blog and see how successful it was. So that was the other thing. Like there was a that was a proof of, of concept. Now, if we had just decided one day to start a marketing company, we hadn't done that pre preliminary work. There would have been no way we would have been. You know, we would have could maybe got the engagement, but we couldn't have got the conversion. Yeah, but you also, I mean, I mean, all the experience and all the content, and you're another perfect example. And and to your listeners, 
I mean, I, I, I get contacted by a lot of radio and a lot of TV, but I was reaching out to you. I wanted to be on your show. I love what you put out there. And honestly, and some people say it's the drill sergeant candor that I have. You got the same thing. It's still caring, but the, the experience behind it to deliver something. And like, like we both said that we see life coaching is a bad word. You're, you know, you have that sense and it's, it's, it's proof of concept. Your proof of concept inside of your blog, inside of what you've created and at the same time as how you've adapted is why you are what you are. And it's the same thing that I try to build in this industry of saying, okay, this is where I come from. And for me, my, my blog, which is more toward the podcast is my calling card for branding optimization because I tell everyone, Hey, Here's every example of most of the things that I'm going to teach you. And when you're done using me, if you forget how to format this way, here's the proof of concept. I can tell you this is this way right now because I'm doing it this way right now. And here are the exact examples of it. So, I mean, that's just, I mean, and pointing it back to you, your content is, is fresh, is real and allows for you to be just, you know, that much more and stand out that much more in a, in a row of snake oil salesman, life coachy. I can post all your social media and make it personalized for you. Recycled, regurgitated, rethrown up content that's only getting pinged on Google because you just changed the business name. I'm sorry. Whoops, going ranty. <laughs> no, that's all right, man. I, no, I get it. Um, let's talk a little bit about budgets for people here, like how, how to define a set of budget. Like when I started this show, I could have made it part of what I was doing, but I was also at the point where I knew I wasn't really happy anymore, so I built it separately. So I financed it out of pocket, and it wasn't really a lot of money. I, I put up some you know, cheap hosting because um, I figured for a year that would be good enough, and I got a domain name and a logo made and, and, and all that stuff. And, I mean, I built the show with a, a $18 Panasonic recorder and, like, an old, I don't even know what it cost, headset that I had around, and I did the show on my car for a year and a half. And I spent about 200 bucks a month between AdWords and at the time, what the hell was that thing called? Nobody uses it anymore. Um, oh, it was like a toolbar and you could, uh, it was, I don't know. They had really good targeting though. And it was like, you know, you saved websites and, and they, it was, it was pretty cool. And, uh, they had a survivalist category. So I was like, well, I'll throw some money at that. And that was like my only two paid sources of advertising. The big thing is I made sure there was a landing page where you could see that you could subscribe, that what it was, it was a radio show, here's what it's about. And, you know, I built it into a multi-six-figure business in a few years with that small of a budget. The problem I see with that, though, when you tell somebody that story, like, okay, it's impressive, sure, fine, whatever. But it's back to our original thing where you said, don't always try to just do what somebody else did. It may be just as difficult for someone to go out with that small of a budget and be successful as it is for someone to come up with $4 million worth of working capital to emulate Gary Vaynerchuk. I had 20 freaking years of experience and knew exactly what to do. So a budget has to adjust to the person's requirements, needs, desires, timeline, all of that stuff, right? Right. But, but I mean, you also, in the, in the advantage of where it works for you, is your skill set, your persona. I mean, how, how you're able, how you're able to build, how you've been able to, uh, uh you know, create, create this is so much knowledge of fresh, strong, engaging content that makes you go, okay, I got to think about that. 
Okay, I've got to think about this. And at the same time, the continuity. Somebody else just starting a podcast, half the time it's half the time when people are going, I want to start a podcast like you. I'm like, I'm still building mine up. And I'll tell you something, it might be better for you right now to just have some five minute audios. I mean, yep. you kind of make that five minute joke that turns into an hour plus, but some people, it's fine to just go five minutes for a while or adjust. If you're still learning an area and you don't have as much content, how can you, you know, how can you do that? I mean, you, you have a perfect example. It's, I mean, you, you talk about the first year and a half in a car. I'm 29 episodes in. I recorded, I record this in my closet. Okay. I, I got a, I got a, I got a walk-in closet and side terrible pun. I have a picture of Christopher Walken on the front of it. So if you shows people, this is my walk-in closet. Walk-in closet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But, I mean, I, I bunch up the, I bunch up clothes. I have a suitcase that goes over it. I used to work in million dollar studios. And right now I'm working off of a USB uh, Apogee mic, some Bose headphones that I got. And I'm recording right into GarageBand. People are like, Oh, are you doing a Pro Tools thing? Or are you working at oh, this yeah. studio or where do you go? I'm like, no, no, no. This is in my closet. And it's justified right now because I'm nowhere near, you know, not even in the same world of where you are. Well, and you know what, though? I, I actually compliment you for that because it, it's probably harder for someone out of your industry to do that because you're a musician. So you're used to all this high-end audio. Here's my thing. If you encode a podcast at 32 kbps, it's the same as FM quality radio. Nobody's voice is so good that you need more than that for a freaking podcast. Now, there is a, what you'd call like a nuisance um, limit. So like the first couple shows I did were really bad because it wasn't even that first recorder that I talked about. And it, it was really kind of crappy and it had a lot of static and pops in it and things like that. But, you know, even with the new recorder, there was road noise and everything. What people care about in a podcast is the content itself. It doesn't, again, it doesn't mean you can't have great production value. I'm still doing my show with a $100 uh, microphone. A Samson CL1U because I use a PC for my primary production. It's funny you say though the Apogee mic. I'm looking at my secondary system runs to my Mac, and it's the exact same microphone. There's <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that level of audio quality. Uh, I never get people bitching that my audio quality sucks. I'll tell you what I do get compliments that it downloads quickly because I'm not encoding at like 128 you know kbps it's it's a preposterous thing to do to somebody with an hour plus podcast and you you know you've created this giant multi gig file because of your ego about audio so what you're doing is precisely what you should be doing anyway i mean really Oh yeah, no. I mean, I go, I go tight there. It's the same thing with videos. I have, I have a client in Tampa, and he hired. I mean, he normally does lo-fi videos, but he hired someone to do this really beautiful video. I up, I, you know, I uploaded it and said, okay, we're going to do 420 because it's going to, it's going to upload faster, and there are some things going on in Hummingbird that if you optimize and use the keywords and the titles and have something that downloads and loads that much quicker, you're gonna, you're gonna pop up higher. And the, the videographer, I mean, they sent this scathing email to me and I'm like, okay, one off, I'm doing the branding and marketing for this person. This is the choice that I made. You can host your beautiful video on the site, but I want people to actually find this video. Yeah. yeah. And so, but you know, but it's, it, it's that, I mean, just like you say, I'm keeping it simple right now. And, you know, as there are a couple advertisers that have reached out, so that's kind of cool. But I'm I'm building, and what you talk about with budgets, I'm building budgets accordingly and trying to find because most of the people that I'm working with 
are not, you know, I do have my high profiles, but most of the people I'm working with, I'm trying to show the same example of this is how I create it. This is how I can do it. You can do it on the same level. You're going to the gym or you're a trainer. What funny story are you sitting there telling someone where that can be a minute and a half, which is good enough for YouTube, a minute and a half up to great. three minutes. That's great. perfect. <laughs> because people have time to watch it. I, that's one of my struggles. I have a hard time making short enough videos. And my, my average YouTube video is about eight to nine minutes, which is actually a bit long. But it's because of the content I'm covering, and that's just the way that it works. But the person that thinks like they have a problem because it's short, they're out of their minds. That's, that's what people – because what happens is a guy's on YouTube, he finds a video, he looks at it. And he says, that seems interesting. And he looks at it and says, 12 minutes and 30 seconds. I don't have 12 minutes and 30 seconds. I'm going to watch Kid Fart or something, right? But <laughs> if it says a minute and 50 seconds, well, I'll listen to that, right? So, And then if you're doing shorter videos, then it's easier to do higher amounts of content, right? You can do you know, 10 one-minute videos the same as you did one 10-minute video. And, and that gives you more you're, – you're sowing more seeds, yeah, absolutely. And the other beauty, too, is in tie it over to one of the other forms. In blogs, you don't have to be an author. You don't have to be a writer. And to tell you, you know, tell you the truth here, I've got three books, but I had editors, proofreaders, technical editors. And I'm, I'm not. I'm not a writer. I'm an author. I am the author of some books. There are people that write a lot better than I do. And when you're writing a blog, which, you know, for most businesses, I say the same thing. One video at least a week, one blog a week. It only has to be 301 words. If it is 301 words, that chances of that optimizing are 99% better than something with 299. It's weird because now, now Google and Yahoo and Bing and the other engines are seeing it as a full article. These little tricks when someone thinks, well, I've got to write a four page blog or I've got a blog that's 600, that's 650 words. No, now you have two pieces of content. Right. It could be part one, part two. You right. can change the pre title and you can do less work. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, okay. Another one of my pet peeves with you know business blogs is you find a guy's site and you check his blog. I'm thinking maybe I'll subscribe to this, and the last post is like six months ago, and you know what the first words are. I know I should be posting to this more, and I'm done. <laughs> right? I'm done. Especially if I'm like, let me humor this and go see what the and the the, the second to the most recent post is like four months before that. It says. I'm getting caught back up on my blogging. I know I should post more, and I'm, I'm done, right? Like, I'm not wasting my time to subscribe to that blog because I'm not expecting regular, even if the content's good that's there, I'm not expecting regular, valuable content. Like, I do this show five days a week. People think that's insane. Well, it works. It's great. <laughs> it works because people know that every day on Stitcher, on iTunes, whatever, there's going to be a new episode. So they can plan it into their day. They, instead of listening to idiots on talk radio on you know 8.20 a.m. or whatever, where 80% of it is commercial uh, instead of actual content, they can actually get an hour of content in their daily drive. And, and that frequency makes that possible. And I think frequency is something that, and whether your business is content production or not, you still need frequency of content production. Absolutely. And, and you know, it, it does switch the rules for people like you. You're... You're giving people five days a week of an hour plus of pure, I mean, pure content coming, coming from you, coming from guests, showcasing the expertise, the background and the knowledge that you have. So where I'm sitting here talking and it, this, this doesn't apply to you, where, 
you know, if you wanted to do those videos, that's fine. You want to expand out in those areas. That's an option. But for other people that don't have sure. five solid videos a week or five solid audios a week or five solid blogs a week, then play the play your full deck. Like I said, a, an, an audio that might is might be only five minutes, a picture, a link, a blog, a video crossing the digital media spectrum. For those people, it can be so much more effective, and then the optimization can work that much better for them. But I, but then, like we said in the very beginning, that all becomes personalized because you know you don't need to do that. So we've been talking mostly about marketing up to this point. At some point, the marketing process, which is basically telling a story, um, has to convert over to selling, which which I define selling as a transfer of belief. If I can transfer a belief in a product or a service to you, if there's a reason for you to have it and you have a budget, you'll buy it. And and I believe in simple definitions. But you talk about selling without selling. I, it's very similar to my philosophy, but I'd like to hear what you mean by that. In what we were talking about before about the content, prepping the brand so that, in a sense, the call to action becomes a sell that isn't necessarily a sell is the most effective. And you have the highest level of conversion to the three audiences. I think your three audiences consist of this. You've got the people that use you, that, you know, convert, that pay you, or are going to need you and use you again somewhere down the line. The second people, they're aware of you, but they haven't crossed that mark. They, they haven't converted yet. They're familiar, but they're still not there. And the last, the last audience is the people that have no idea who you are. Now, when you set a content plan to hit all three of those simultaneously, you're creating the most engaging content for all three audiences and allowing all three audiences to stay that much more engaged with you. So, for example, that sell on the front of, you know, you've got to have this. It's the best thing. It's so great. The people that already have it, they're sick of it. They don't want to hear it anymore. The people that are sort of on the cross They've heard it too many times and it hasn't crossed them over. And the people that have never heard of you, okay, fine. That's where most people are actually marketing. They're only marketing the people that are unfamiliar. When the piece of content, <clears throat> excuse me, when a piece of content is coming out that's sharing and engaging, whether it's a story, the Trump story is a perfect example for you, or something about a product, or Hope Floats, or moon, uh, Moonstruck. Elements about your past, where you come from, somebody making a comparison to this, your two cents on X, Y, or Z. Now you're hitting the engagement of all three audiences simultaneously and allowing the people that, look, I already know I like them. I'm, I already use them or I'm already going to buy his stuff. They're still engaged with that and they might share it that much more. That piece of vicarious content for your second audience that hasn't crossed over, that has such a better chance than just the usual sell. And from hashtags, how it's optimized and the kind of content you create by doing that differently each time. That might be grabbing that third audience that's never heard of you and you connect with them on some level you never expected to and boom, they're crossed over and they're with you. Well, and it, like what you get if you're hitting those three markets in a way that actually is attractive to all of, all of them, you can get like a golden moment, right? So a golden moment is like when the new guy that didn't know about you comes in and basically challenges an assertion that like, well, I'm not really sure about this. I'm kind of on the fence, whatever. And you don't say anything. And your existing customers, because they're not bored by your content, say, oh, I've been a customer of this company for six years. It's fantastic. Right? You can't buy that. 
You can't get that on Madison Avenue from any marketing firm. That's something you have to build through your individual brand and strength of relationship with your customers. And it's not always a sell either. Sometimes it's like a technical support issue. Like, I bought this and I can't figure out how, you know, and people, instead of sending in a ticket, they go to your blog and post it. And, and another customer goes, oh, I have that problem too. It's really easy. I talked to them and they said to do this. Well, now that's customer service you don't have to do. And when the third party observer sees stuff like that, It's not what they expect from, you know, a, a Microsoft or, you know, somebody like or an AT&T, right? It, it, they, they realize they're dealing with an individualized business that actually gives a damn. Because if your customers give a damn about your other customers, there's no way that can happen if you don't first give a damn about your customers. Exactly. And, like, let's, let's point it back to you, Jack. The story that you talked about um, recording in the car. What kind of car were you recording your uh – Uh, your podcast. I bet you there's there's people saying it right now. 2006.5 Jetta Diesel TDI. My personal mobile studio, right? I haven't said those words in a long time. <laughs> See, that becomes that's the fun though. So now all of a sudden you're talking, you're talk you talk about this car. And, and and like and like it's been said, other people that have been with you longer, they know that car. But then you pop something, you pop something out there and talk about, and then that engagement at the end of that video or that piece of audio or that picture of the car, and you're like, what do you do in the car? Keep it clean. But what else have you used, you know, this type of car or your type of car for? Now there's the engagement of sharing and a whole bunch of comments and people talking about things, and then all of a sudden it's. And this is the beauty of it, because it's not the push of the sell. Wait, what was he talking about recording? Maybe I should go listen to this. Oh, my gosh, look at how he markets and what he's done. I got to work with him. You were a better sell in just sharing something than you were ever selling something. Yeah, definitely. Again, stories. I, I've been on a kick with that this week in a different angle, talking about the the, the power and the, the building of community and preservation of historic history. It all comes through stories. People remember stories. People don't remember taglines, right? I have, I actually have what I think is the the worst tagline in the world for this show: helping you live a better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. It's ridiculously long. It's it's almost stupid. You sound like a life coach, and you're right. so much more than that, dude. Right. But, but what it did was it broke survivalist stigma, right? So what it did is it gave people something that when they said, because I ran a listener uh, a listener growth contest in the beginning. I gave away a free iPod pad, iPod is so long ago, that was engraved on the back with being an ant, not a grasshopper. And anybody that agreed to tell other people about my show got on this drawing, this list for this first year. And when people would say, well, you should listen to this guy. Well, he's a survivalist. No, no. He talks about things like, like when things go really bad or making your life better even just today. So everything that you do is designed to make your life more resilient. Oh, well, I'll listen to that. You know, and that that was a big part of how we grew the show. But that was by getting people to tell stories. So people say, you know, marketing, you know, there's all these different definitions and it's It's just telling a story. That's all it is. Viral marketing is getting other people to, to do the storytelling for you. And if you can get that done, and then your freaking site actually, like when somebody gets there, they know what to do, you, you've got it. You, 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 you know, there's always ways you can make it better. There's always ways you can tweak it. But you've got a basic success formula there. And instead of trying to outsmart people, like I get all the time, what are some tips and tricks? Tips and tricks are for hucksters, right? It, 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 that's not what we do. It's not tricks. It's, it's techniques. It's procedures. 
So you have a set of techniques that you use to market your site, and you have a set of procedures that you use to engage traffic when it comes to your site and convert it in some way to a higher level of engagement. And there's nothing sneaky about that. There's nothing tricky about that. Everything I know you can learn online in a couple of months if you want to look it up for yourself and, and go through the own, you know, your own school of hard knocks with it. Um, so your delivery, let me interrupt you there. I completely disagree with you. You can find out the elements of what you know, but how you've taken the different pieces of information, how you tie them in, is why your voice is what it is, why your success is no, what it is. I know what you're saying. I'm, I'm talking about the technical, and, the technical aspects of things like search engine optimization. Oh, yeah. There's but rules like, to I, that. That's, that's not hard. What's hard is not getting so wrapped up in, in, in trying to be perfect that you 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 sanitize your message you sanitize your persona if again I'm back to it I believe that the successful entrepreneurs in this day and age bear the soul of their company to their market and if they do that then they earn trust because no one does that unless they're trustworthy no oh, yeah and then it's I mean the other thing is that I always push out is you know Taking taking the ideas from certain strategists and people that directly can help and the, the, the right consultants and coaches that are leading you down a path of real strategy and proof of concept is great. But if you're going to alter and adjust yourself to every level of criticism, you're too damn sensitive. Get out of the way and work for someone, because if you are that tied to it and so prepared to change everything all the time, the message and the root of what you have will never be. Oh yeah, that's the that's the guy that you go fishing with, right? And you pull the boat into a spot and you fish for five seconds, and he says they're not biting. Let's move. Right? Exactly. You can't do that. Like, okay, we got to anchor the boat. Uh, we got to set the trolling motor on autopilot and go along this this like we have to try this technique long enough to validate or invalidate it. We can't just invalidate it because it didn't work this second. And that's that was the problem I always had with with larger companies, even. Not when I say larger companies, several million dollar companies with, with the, an ego that they were more important than they were and thinking, well, we can't do that. I remember this isn't probably a problem now. I haven't done consulting in so long, but you know, back in 2006, 2007, 2008, working with, with good solid brands that were afraid to be on YouTube because it was sophomoric. That was a word I heard from multiple different people. It's sophomoric to be on YouTube. I'm like, you don't even know what that means. Right. You have no idea. Like I'm like every presidential candidate has a freaking YouTube channel at this point, you know? Coke has a YouTube channel, Pepsi has a YouTube channel. Well that's different. Well, how's it different? They're world class brands. You're not. Like, <laughs> that's how it's different. And it, there's just there was like a sticking point. So to me, like today, with you know, YouTube, Facebook and Twitter, and then Pinterest are probably like four of your really solid social media pro pro uh, platforms that are proven today. And if I was in the consulting business today and I had a client that said, I want you to set all of those up for us and get them branded in and ready to go, the first thing I'd say is, well, what I'd like you to do is tell me what your first four or five tweets are going to be, what your first four or five posts in your blogs are going to be. You don't have to do them yet, but what videos are you going to put on YouTube, a list? Because what I, what, I, what I hated about consulting was you'd get everything set up for someone, and then they wouldn't do diddly crap with it. And then they'd say, well, you're the marketing agency. How much is it going to cost you to do it? And there's a point where you have to go from, you know, it's it's like marketing consulting is like therapy. And then at some point, the patient has to get off the freaking couch and actually function in life. So your job as a consultant is to empower and enable that that brand because I can't pretend to be Lauren any more than you can pretend to be Jack. 
it would be disingenuous. So I can't be doing all your Facebook posts for you. I can't be doing your YouTube videos for you. What I have to, what I, what I need to do is make sure you're doing them right. If that makes sense. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of what I do in, in the end of a branding console is set up a template and go over it with them. I tell people right from the start, if you're not prepared to do this work, you're not going to want to work with me. I'm not like, I, I don't, I mean, there, there are some larger scale clients and even them, I state, I'm like, do not hire someone else to do this. Once you have a template, you can save the money. You can be that much more effective. My goal with my basic branding consult package with the editorial calendar is getting them into a plan of how to, how to title, how to create, build this thing out and not be one of those idiots. that's tweeting 40 times a day. <laughs> yeah. Things that no one cares about, right? You know, or just regurgitation a hundred percent of the time. No and I think that you have to like channel in like, well, what is your, what are, where are your strengths? Because these different social media pl platforms work differently and they have different audiences. Like there are people that do, that crush it using Reddit for like engaged conversations with their, their clients and st or their customers or with the, the industry in general and, and what have you. I, I despise Reddit. I don't care how much it could do for me. It doesn't work for me. So I'm one guy. So I put my efforts into Facebook and YouTube. I have Twitter because it's easy to, to just add that. It doesn't take a lot of extra work. But I'm very strong in actual engagements on YouTube and Facebook. So that's where I put my effort. So if you're working with a client, you have to help them figure out, like, okay, there's all, there's all these arrows in the quiver. Which ones are you going to consistently use and how are you going to use them? Yeah. No, I mean, and that's, and people don't, and you know, half the time people don't want to hear it. They, they, they want the, fa they want the faster answer. They see a template. I mean, I'm in agreement with Reddit too. I don't like it, but I do have some clients that, They just kill over there. Yeah. And the only thing I tell everyone, and this this is one of the little crazy ones, I tell everybody to reserve a social media site every day. You can just put up your avatar, your tagline, your one line, or your website, point them somewhere else, but take it over so that nobody else can take it. You don't have to be active on it, but own it across own the Real estate, board. yeah. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Because, yeah, then somebody's out there pretending to be you. That's why you see people... Uh, Like I mentioned Trump again, right? Real Donald Trump, right? Or, or, or whatever, because someone's grabbed the domain because they knew it would be valuable or grabbed the, uh, grabbed the Twitter handle because they knew it would be valuable or because it's a competitor that wants to do brand damage to you. So imagine if, you know, if, if, uh, if I, you know, would grab your Twitter handle, right? Lauren Wiseman and I'd be like, all you people suck. None of you know how to market for crap. I could, and if I was a competing consultant, I could make you look bad. I don't know how effective it would be, but it's, it's better to not have to fight. Why fight that battle? Why not just take all the handles over for your brand so that you don't have to worry about it? And it doesn't have to be, and it's just like everything else. It doesn't have to be this overwhelming, holy crap, I don't want to do this. It's, I mean, my, my situation and what I did with wait, what really okay. I just once a day would go find another one, sign it up, put the logo, put the info, point it back, done. And I mean, you know, I'd say, you know, 95 of the hundred and some, I don't even, I haven't seen in months. I just double check to make sure they're still up, but no one else can take them. And it can help your SEO too. Yeah, definitely. It sure can because you can end up with, you know, your, your social media presences under your primary keyword so that it's not just that you have the top position on Google. You have eight of the 10. 
Right. That's, that's complete domination of a search engine where, hey, I don't care where you click. You're going to click, click something in the top fold. So you'll, somewhere or another, you're going to get to me. And, and that is another example of, I think, what you call precision marketing. I was listening to one of your podcasts and you were talking about something I think it's really important now and probably more important than back when I was doing consulting because these platforms are more evolved now. Well, there is a set dimension for a YouTube header. There's a set dimension for a Facebook header, et cetera. So if somebody's designing your brand for your website, once they have all those graphics, go ahead and kick out something that'll like template fit your, your background and your header for YouTube and stuff like that. And that really shouldn't cost you much more. And if it does, you're working with the wrong graphic artist because the work is in the development, right? It's like, When you go to a photographer, if you're getting charged as much for the second picture as the first one, then you're probably getting ripped off because it's hitting the printer again. Um, there is a little work to it, but it's, it's not that much. And, and most good graphic artists can do that kind of work. And it's, to them, it's great because it's easy and they do get to build some add on. Oh, and I, I, I always ask it right out of the front when I, I say, okay, I want an avatar. I want a font. I want it at, at these different levels from PDF to JPEG to low res to high res. And I want to make sure, I mean, I find that if you have, you, you get this designer up front to, to format it for Facebook, for Google Plus, for Twitter, for YouTube. Um, I mean, those, those just basic ones, they'll fit into all the other ones just fine. And asking at, asking for it all at once, you're always going to get a better price as opposed to, you know, going back after the fact. What are your thoughts on, let's say, the different approach to, to branding a person versus a company? So, For instance, Survival Podcast is the brand of the company, but Jack Spirico is Survival Podcast because it's a, it's truly a one man show other than my wife does some PR stuff and things like that. But there are people out there that are branding themselves as an author. And then there's people building a business that they're going to want to maybe sell someday. So they don't necessarily want to be completely the face of the brand. How do you look at the difference there? Do you, do you kind of get, get where I'm coming from? Totally. I, and I just said the word totally. Oh my God. What's wrong with me? It's 1982 totally. and you're in California. <laughs> I left LA two years ago. I just said totally. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, the, the thing that I see, I mean, for, for instance, for you, I would go, you know, in, in, in what you're talking about, like intellectual survivalist strategist, You know, playing, playing the aspects of what you do and why what you do for your show and what you talk on or if you ever went back to consulting, tying in those, you know, tying in those phrases so that somebody else could take it over. Wait, what really okay is me, but it's been completely branded so that if somebody walked in and it's, it flipped the switch, that information It can be that easy. Like it always says in every single post on iHeart or uh, Spreaker where I host it, this, you know, this podcast is hosted by business advisor, speaker and author Lauren Wiseman. Yeah. So leaving the room for it, this to be hosted by, you know, somebody else to set that logo. I mean, wait, what really okay has the orange logo, the stamp. I don't want to always do this and I do want to eventually step away from it, but I'm setting it up. It's still a very personalized thing and it's my voice, but it's that tonight show concept that somebody else can come in, can roll with it, can adjust. And the switch over would be a couple names and a couple keywords and done the templates for the videos. And this is, and even, you know, any business can do this. 
that iMovie thing where you can load in some, you know, music, whether you license it yourself or get it free, load in different graphics, get in, get out. The, the more that the brand is structured in the foundation, the easier it can be to send it off in a different direction. And even if it goes from a guy to a girl or from somebody seeing things in one area and seeing it differently in the other, that can make the compounding of it that much more interesting and that much easier to basically flip the switch. Absolutely. And I think there's kind of a blending point there, too, though. So if you brand a company right, you can still brand the CEO or the president or the, 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 the main force behind it. For instance, Steve Jobs was a brand, but Apple didn't require Steve Jobs to continue after Steve Jobs was gone. And you can take these companies that want to keep it more of a, you know, it, it, it's uh, ABC Inc. versus uh, Joe Smith. Joe Smith can still brand himself alongside his company heavily because, hey, that's the president. You know, what it makes me think of is uh, the LifeLock commercial where the CEO comes out and gives his, his Social Security out. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> right? Like, that's one of the most powerful advertisements that you could ever do because here's the owner of the company talking to you get, and saying, we protect this piece of information, and we protect it so well, I'm going to give you mine. Right? So, that, like, I can't remember his name, but... I, I, he's still a brand to me because I remember very clearly the first time I saw that commercial, I was like, holy crap. And uh, I had some people I was working with who I brought that up to, marketing consulting. I thought it was a very bad idea because it was reckless. It shows recklessness. I'm like, I don't know if I can work with you. I don't know if I can work with you. I think that we're not going to be able to work together because I don't think you understand brilliance in marketing at all. Oh, no, I mean, it, 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 there's a brilliance to it. And, I mean, even inside of him getting his information stolen, what he was able to do and other people that are able to build businesses. I loved I, – I know it's a silly golf movie, but I love the movie Tin Cup with Kevin Costner. Okay. And the, the, the scene in the end when he's about to win the, the, the Open or, or, or whatnot, and he just, you know, as opposed to being safe and careful, he just blows it by trying to make this shot. And then the girlfriend comes up and, you know, he's like, I can't believe I just did that. How stupid. It's like no one's going to remember who won the Open in five years, but they're going to remember the crazy shot that you made and what you did. Those elements about being that much crazier, that ability to maybe we even call it sophomoric. To stand out, to be authentic, to be real, to be true to who you are, what you're about, which so many people, and especially the millennials, are afraid of. To really just stand on your opinion. State it as an opinion if, if you're not 100% sure and it's not a fact, but stand by what you believe and only change it if you truly believe it's time to change. Because the more that, the more that you are, you know, embedded and, and cemented in who you are, what you're about, what you're putting out there, the easier it's going to be for someone to trust you as opposed to someone flip-flopping, trying to make everybody happy all the time. I completely agree. So this has been a great interview, Lauren. Um, you've mentioned the name of your podcast a, a couple times, uh, which is Wait What Really Okay? Well, I, I love that. But you also have a, a main website as well. You want to tell people how they can uh, find out more about you and the work that you're doing? You can connect with me. Just search Lauren Wiseman, L-O-R-E-N-W-E-I-S-M-A-N. I got that on .com, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, all the nine. Everything that we talk about in the, the, the 
proof of concept practices that I do for other people. Um, I also practice for myself. So I'm, I'm pretty easy to find out there. <laughs> and I'll make sure there's a link to both your podcast and your website, uh, on the uh, show notes today. So people can uh, hook up with you because a lot of people listen in their car and, you know, can't write things down. So if uh, you want to hook up with Lauren later, just come by. Take a look at episode, uh, what is today's episode, 1770, and uh, if you do that, you'll be able to uh, hook right up with Lauren and leave comments for both of us. And Lauren, I really appreciate you being with us today on the Survival Podcast. Jack, it was so great. I, if I can add one more thing here, I'm going to send you a link to, I don't know how many musicians you have that listen, but I'd like to send you a link for a free copy to all or any of your listeners that want it for the artist guide to success in the music business. A lot of the elements, even if you're not in music, do relate. And I just, I, I love your show. I really appreciate you having me on. Well, I had a great time with you, and you, we should have probably talked about the thousand true fans model because I came right out of the music industry as well. But that's great, man. Send me that link over, and uh, we loved having you on, and I, I wish you the best. All the best, man. Take care. That was a fun interview, and I uh, hope it gave you a lot to think about when it comes to marketing either your business brand, setting up a business and marketing the brand, or marketing your personal brand. Anyway, uh, with that wrapped up, let's go ahead and remind you, if you want to support the show and the work I do, the way to do that is to join the Members Support Brigade. Just go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on Members to learn more and to sign up there. You'll get discounts on products you're probably buying anyway. In fact, there's over 60 companies. i got a new one coming for you in the hunting industry uh, that I should have uh, set up probably within the next week, I would bet. Uh, seems like a, a good one, but I'll save what it is for them. But I'm always working to improve the value of the MSB for this audience. Again, just go to survivalpodcast.com and click on Members. Military, Law Enforcement, Peace Corps, uh, and First Responders, all of you qualify for a discount. Just send me an email with TSPC Service Discount in the subject line before you join, not after, and I will send you a discount code to save even more money on an already great product. For everybody else, it's 50 bucks a year or $5 a month. That comes out to about 18.3 cents an episode to support the content that you tune into every day. Anyway, next up, the other way you can support this show, and it's really a simple, easy, painless way, is to go to tspaz.com, T-S-P-A-Z.com, tspaz.com. And that'll take you to uh, where you can go through our basically our Amazon portal. You click a link, you go to Amazon, you buy your stuff on Amazon, and that's it. There's no more to it than that. Uh, you are you're you just do your shopping on Amazon. You buy whatever it is. I saw somebody yesterday bought Rachel Ray's dog food. Whatever, it doesn't matter. It doesn't cost you any more. Uh, money at all. Doesn't really take you any more time. You just go to TSPAS, one less letter than Amazon, and click a link, and you're at Amazon, and go ahead and, and buy whatever you want. But I also put out a product every day called the Amazon Item of the Day. Uh, it's products that I've actually used, worked with, etc., that I recommend. Today is my go-to backup power uh, charger for your phones and your tablets and things like that. The one that I recommend most is made by Anchor. It's the Astro E7. It's a 26,800 um, milliamp hour uh, portable charger. This is a portable charger that can charge your iPhone 6 10 times, an iPhone Air about 2 times, an iPad Mini about 3 times, or a Samsung S6 6.8 times. So 6 to 7 times on the Samsung 6. Um, it's just a great tool. And it's something you, you really need to have in your preps. I have a generator and a battery bank and all kinds of different ways that I have backup power, but I'm not always home. So in my, you know, my go pack, 
my bug out bag, I keep a uh, backup power tool. I, I'd like to tell you that we've replaced every single backup power thing that we have with this uh, Anchor Astro E7. We have some other good ones. Um, I've tried a couple different ones, and, and it's not like all the other ones are garbage or something like that or, or anything. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff out there, but value for the money in a quality product with a good warranty, this is the best thing I've been able to find on the market right now. $39.99 with free shipping on Amazon Prime. Again, something that can charge an iPhone 6 10 times. I want you to think about this this way. I get 24 hours plus out of my iPhone. I'm not a power phone user. I'm not on it all the time diddly-doing stuff or whatever. I do most of my Facebook stuff on my laptop or my desktop. I do post some pictures to it. I shoot some videos. And if I shoot a lot of video, i got to charge it. But in general, if I'm using my phone to make calls, send texts, and look stuff up here and there, I get more than a full day out of it. If you are in a grid-down scenario and you're trying to make your phone last, you turn the you turn the display uh, way, way down, and you only use it when you need it, and you don't diddly-do on it when you don't need to be diddly-doing. That means that if you can charge your iPhone six, ten times with it, and you got a full charge on your phone, you can stretch it out two weeks of keeping your phone available. There is no more important tool in today's world than your mobile phone when it comes to dealing with disasters and emergencies. You can talk to people that can come help you. You can stay in touch with your friends. You can gather information. You can you can uh, gather news. It is the key critical communications link that there is today. And most times, even when power's out, etc., you can still get cell phones to work. And even if they don't work where you are, if you move somewhere else, all of a sudden they'll work. So I recommend you have a good uh, backup power system in place uh, for your phone. That means chargers in all your cars. That means keep your phone charged whenever you can. If you're not using it, plug it in. Keep it charged. Um, but when when all else fails, make sure you have one of these. Well, I'll tell you what, they're in they're in a trip you could take where you couldn't keep your phone on, you know, to, to going with this thing. Um, it's not tiny. It's not like one of the little bitty ones. It's a little bit bigger than uh, like an iPhone itself uh, as far as uh, weight, and it's a little bit thinner as far as the width across. But it's 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 a honking uh, battery. It kind of has some size to it, but it's nothing that's uh, out of space as far as weight and, and what have you in your pack or in the glove box of a car or what have you. So check it out, and remember, if you're not interested, you don't need one of those, you've got that covered. Any of your shopping on Amazon, just go through tspaz.com, folks. It really supports the show, uh, and it's such an easy thing to do. And remember, I try to bring you these uh, these reviews on the blog every day um, because I think it's important to bring you value and information, not just tell you to shop on Amazon. So even if you're not you know, buying anything that day, check out the reviews because it gives you a good overview of the equipment that I actually use in my life that I've discovered over about a decade of living the preparedness lifestyle. Another little short domain you can remember is tspbiz.com. tspbiz.com takes you to the TSP business directory where you'll find companies right out of the TSP community that are looking for, to earn your business. And uh, you can find really cool stuff like today's supporter of the TSP business directory is Second Amendment Jewelry. They provide gifts, jewelry, and accessories made from spent shell casings. You can use the, t the, the coupon code TSP business directory in their Etsy store and get 10% off your entire order Yep, Second Amendment jewelry. That's a cool one right there you might want to check out. You can find them in the TSP Business Directory. And that brings us to our song of the day. Um, I don't have a big message with today's song. I was just looking through 
you know, whatever were like top songs from, you know, a long time ago, 1970, 71, 72. And I happened on the one I picked for today. It's called Heart of Gold by Neil Young. Um, this song was huge when it came out. It made the number one, uh, number one on the charts, I think, for several weeks at least. And it's one of those songs that's, uh, it's, it's universal. It's a song that everybody knows. But the reason I picked it is because it was, uh, it was in a movie that I forgot all about until I just saw the, the song here. The uh, movie was called Iceman. And in this movie, the concept was they found like, uh, you know, a, a man from, thousands and thousands of years ago, a caveman, basically, who had been frozen in the ice, which, of course, they actually have found a, a guy like that because he's dead. In this case, it was like, you know, some kind of freak thing where the ice formed so fast that the Iceman, when they thaw him out, is actually alive, and all of a sudden he's here in the now from 10,000 years ago. And there's a doctor named Dr. Shepard. I don't know, remember the actor that played him. Um, but it was Dr. Shepard was the, the character's name who goes into this habitat with, with, with the Iceman who they decide to name Charlie. And one of the ways he bridges the gap between them is with music and he sings Heart of Gold and he like bangs a stick like a drum. And, you know, it's kind of reinforces why I do the song of the day. Music is universal. Music builds bridges. Music tell stories in ways that allow people to experience each other's culture, experience each other's emotions. It's just one of the things that I think makes us really unique as human beings. We truly make music. Other animals out there have songs that they sing. Birds sing, dolphins sing, etc. But there's just a continuous repetition. There's not, a, there's not anything I know of anyway that truly composes music the way that humans compose music. So think about that. Hope you enjoy this old classic song. Hope you enjoyed today's show. And I look forward to coming back to you tomorrow with the Listener Call Show. Remember, if you want to call in for a Listener Call Show, you can do that at 866-65-THINK. But we now also have uh, a, a button on the website for a service that's called, uh, what is it, Speak? Uh, I'll tell you here in just a second when I'm looking at it. It's a brand new service we just added on to it. It's called um, Speak Pipe. Speak Pipe. And if you go to the website and you look in the center uh, column, right below where it says listen to a random episode, and you click on it, it'll just automatically start recording, assuming you're on a device that has a microphone. And when you're done, you just click it and you send it to me in an audio file. So you can also call in shows for the call in or call in questions for call in show through SpeakPipe. I believe we've had three people use it already. So like I said, if it gets used a bit this month and we get some good calls in on it and what have you, uh, I will consider paying for the service and making it a, an ongoing service to you guys in the community. So you'll be hearing from me tomorrow. Until then, enjoy Mr. Neil Young. With that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tougher, even if they don't.